This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning. It is Wednesday, June 23rd. You are listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Lance Glenn. I hope everyone has had an enjoyable week so far. I know I have. Before we start, I wanted to remind everyone that if you like what you hear, make sure to drop us a five-star rating and leave us a review. We love to see your comments and would be so gracious for feedback if you want us to cover a topic we haven't already, or if we haven't hit your favorite team yet as we preview all the Power 5 schools and some group of fives as well this offseason on the College Football Daily. Of course, if we have already covered your favorite team and you missed it or want to listen back, don't worry, we have all the episodes for you. Just go to Spotify, search for the playlist across the country with the College Football Daily, and listen as we preview your favorite program. We are continuing our goal of hitting all the Power 5 teams and a few group of five schools today as we preview West Virginia. Joining me to discuss the program is Mike Casaza. He covers Mountaineer football and recruiting for 24-7 Sports West Virginia site, Ear Sports. Mike, how we doing? Thanks so much for joining me and coming on. Doing great, Lance. Thanks for having me. It, it occurs to me that, man, if we're doing previews, we are, we're really, really close. Like we hit that 100 day checkered flag part and we're way past that now. So we're, we're, we're darn near media days and, and first day of camp, aren't we? This is, is such a great time because you have so much to look forward to. And especially when you compare this time now compared to this time last year. And, you know, I want to start this, this podcast specifically with the head coach of the Mountaineers, Neil Brown. You know, he's going into year three. Last year was a step forward, finishing six and four after going five and seven in his first season. You know, I know they gave him an extension this offseason as well, signaling confidence moving forward. But what's just been your overall opinion on the job that he's done so far? Do you think, you know, he's, I guess, set West Virginia up the right way for this coming season and the future? Well, I'd say he came in with a plan for sure. And that plan was tried and tested and vindicated at Troy. And he had some, I would say, some good apprenticeships, Kentucky and Texas Tech before that too. So he's been in major conference, big time football. And then when he when he got the head of the table at Troy, what he had put together, he put in motion and it worked. And he supplied as much as he can, as best as he can here. And it's put him in a good position getting in. Um, I, I think if you look at the roster and recruiting, continuity coaching staff all that so far so good no, not not so far so great but so far so good let me let me bounce this off you lance year one can be hard for coaches right you almost call it year zero when it's really a bad situation um he inherits a team that maybe didn't have the best roster and perhaps that's why dana holgerson left he knew that you know contractually he was in a tough spot and maybe that 2019 team without sills and jennings and greer just wasn't going to be up to snuff for him so Grass is greener, whatever. He goes long, but Neil Brown steps in late in the game. You know, it's, it's January when this happens. Can't do a whole lot toward recruiting. And you have probably normal to maybe above average attrition during and after that first season. But that first year is always hard. So a lot of people here want to give him a year zero in 2019. Last year, there was a dang pandemic. Like, what do you do? Like, you you want to have momentum from the end of year one to end, end of your second year. And, you know, they beat. TC at the end of the season, his first year, and felt really good about themselves. Everybody, everything coming back, they thought, hey, this is a great way to end. And then everything gets unplugged in the offseason. And it almost feels like 
even though they were better in 2020, it still wasn't like year one for him. <laughs> so here we are, you're asking me and I'm answering questions about year three, but you could really make an argument that because of you know the transition year and then the pandemic year, here's a guy who's aligned things and has accomplished a number of things, but he almost hasn't even had a full regular ordinary year yet. Does that make sense? Well, certainly. And you know, I've had other coaches on, I've had other team state reporters on and, and they've all kind of said something similar in terms of the fact that like this pandemic year, whether it was a year one for a coach or whether it was a year two for a coach, it really was like you could take one off like a year one would be a year zero if year one was during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Year two would be more similar to a year one if, if year two was during the pandemic, right? Because there was just so much uncertainty. There were so many new things that were kind of thrown their way. And you're right, you know, this is year three technically for Neil Brown, but like you said, in 2019, he kind of takes over and doesn't have a full offseason. Then 2020 comes and, you know, 2020 is what 2020 was. And now here's 2021. This is like the first time I think for Neil Brown, he's had a normal season. You know, with this West Virginia program, you know, we were talking last week when I asked you to come on. And, you know, obviously when a coach gets an extension, right, as Neil Brown did, the administration above him is obviously happy with the path the program is on. But as we were going back and forth, you were telling me about, you know, the issues at quarterback, everything they lost on defense, you know, how a lot of position groups are kind of just, I think you use the term iffy, right? They're not great. They're not bad. They're just kind of so-so. I guess my question is, why are the higher-ups in Morgantown so optimistic enough about the future to give Neil Brown that extension? You know, when it seems like 2021, at least, from my eyes could very well mirror 2020 with a around 500 sort of record. I think they've been yearning for this for a while. And this is kind of a bit of a history lesson, but you know, they had Don Nealon here for, for quite some time and he became you know synonymous with the program. You no, know, the, the road outside the stadium is named after him. When Rich Rodriguez came in after many, many years of Nealon, it was a different, maybe a different era of college football, high octane. You know, his whole thing was play with your hair on fire, spot the ball, go, 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 go. But that was kind of a more aggressive approach, but maybe the sport was changing that way too. And it became, I don't want to say impersonal, but it became very much like a business as far as an atmosphere goes. And then he leaves under, you know, really bizarre circumstances that we could spend hours talking about, but really kind of you had like jilted lover syndrome here in West Virginia because they that's really one of their guys, you know, a guy who walk on to become a very good player becomes a head coach. He was sliced bread. People forget when he came here too. He was the offensive you know, innovator. And then they get so close to national championship. He leaves. I better stop here. Otherwise people are going to start throwing tomatoes out of slam. <laughs> this is a sore subject, but he leaves. And it was very, it was callous. Um, and it, that, that is not healed here. But then Bill Stewart comes in and for whatever his shortcomings were as a coach or as a recruiter or a developer, just a genuine person that at, at that time, after all of the thunder and lightning when Rodriguez left he just kind of like welcomed everybody in you know into safe harbor and gave everybody a hug so to speak and that was kind of cool and it didn't work out you know three years he gets pushed out and that wasn't the best the best exit Holgerson's here for a couple of years and that was a bit more of a throwback to the Rodriguez thing where it was football 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 here's our offensive ingenuity we need this we have to build this we have to have do produce for football purposes and he wasn't the most welcoming and accommodating personality you know I don't think he was in love with recruiting or fundraising as much as people wanted him to be and then he leaves and again that's a weird exit you know um empty cupboard, whatever, you know, he left right after midnight on January 1st because his buyout went down, you know, coincidentally. So it, it was all very, you know, business-like again, but here's Brown and Brown just does things differently. He's not Bill Stewart, but he's more Bill Stewart than he is Dana Holgerson and Rich Rodriguez, where there are personal touches and there is some sort of an affection 
that goes back and forth between fans following and also the coach and the team and the players. And that hasn't been here for a long time. I think people have missed that. So the fact that, you know, he's, I'm using air quotes here, just 11-11, that might not impress you. But I think if you look around the hard spots and the soft spots of the program, everything has changed in a way that the university wants it to be. It's more welcoming. It's more family-oriented and everything they pitch to players on the team, to players they want to come in. You know, we've talked to you know countless recruits so far and it's of other national writers 24-7 who say family over and over and over, family family and they, they tried to build that in there i know that sounds probably trite and cliche but that's not what's been here and i think that just when you look at the mood above and about the program it's just a different feeling than it was before yeah it's football it's business you got to produce you got to win you got to have do all that stuff that all the other coaches did but he's just done it with a, a warmer friendlier touch i think and then by the way you know he's he's brought in good coaches that look like they know what they're doing. He's navigated tough spots. You know, people forget about a year ago, they had a pretty ugly situation with a player accusing an assistant coach of kind of some insensitive actions. That coach leaves, the player's still on the team, and and that was probably impossible to navigate. And he did. Um, he's hired good coaches that look like they are energetic about recruiting. They're recruiting at a really high level right now. And they probably have just enough continuity on the roster to be excited about the ability to overcome some of the pitfalls that do exist, I'm sure we'll talk about, but you know, they don't have this, they don't have that person. This guy isn't here, even though he should be. Those all hurt. Those are all strikes, but they have things in place, plans, players, contingencies that give you a chance to overcome that stuff. Even if you didn't see it coming, there's a chance it could work. And I think that has people excited because he's earned that benefit of the doubt. If not with winning games, then being competitive with them, or if not in being, you know, maybe like the best X and O guy as of yet, people like him. And they want to see him succeed, so they'll give him that benefit of the doubt. They'll be patient. And I think that's why the, the university was so eager to sign him up for a number more years and more money. Jared Dagey was really the epitome of what a game manager is. When you just look at his numbers last year, right? He threw the ball more than any other quarterback in the conference, but he only had 14 touchdowns. He didn't throw many picks, only four. But his yards per attempt, it was only 6.9 yards. He didn't really air it out and take many shots downfield. And of course, he was replaced in the Liberty Bowl last season. Where was he challenged this offseason to get better? And what's this, the status of the quarterback room overall heading into the summer? Well, he's he's the one for sure. Like he's not going to get beat out in the in the summer and probably in camp by Garrett Green as much as people want to see a guy like Green under center or uh, uh, Goose Crowder, who's their true freshman, who's come in. And, and I think everybody likes the potential for him, but too soon to put him in, especially the two guys ahead of him. He's got to be more mobile. When you see Garrett Green, you see a guy who's like, you know, a baseball player with good range and, and flies around, has different arm angles and can do different things. And that, that is his background a little bit in high school, too. He's a good baseball player. In addition, like this dual threat quarterback, Daigie doesn't move as much. He's... You know, his brother, probably heard this before, his brother, a pretty good high school quarterback, excuse me, college quarterback for Neil Brown, but, you know, was that like Texas high school quarterback, you know, system guy, catch it, spin it, throw it. And I think his brother's a lot like that too, and has been in that air raid system, whatever iteration, uh, at Bowling Green and out West Virginia with Brown, that it's just comfortable to him. But I think the game has evolved. I think everybody would tell you this too, that pocket has to move and you have to be the one that moves it. And he gets caught a lot with the ball in his hand. These are all things that anybody who knows West Virginia is not in their head at going, gee, stop this, Mike. I'm tired of hearing this. Give me something good. <laughs> but can you make him more mobile? And the funny thing was that like Brown weaved in Tom Brady into all of his evaluations this summer, and which is a heck of a thing to compare your quarterback to that everybody wants to see either on the sideline or doing a lot better. And if you're using Tom Brady as the standard, eh, <laughs> that's tough, right? That's a tough comp. So his point, though, is that nobody's going to say Tom Brady is Mike Vick or Michael Bishop, you know, but here's a guy that does evade pressure and that uses his smarts in place and maybe where he does not as athletically gifted and he gets out of trouble 
and he gets his feet in the spot so he can square up and throw it. And that's what Deegan can probably get better at. So they've tried to figure out ways to do that. I watched him practice a few times in the spring and everything is about the quarterback, but also everything that they were doing in drills is about moving, moving the pocket, moving him, you know, not bootlegs or play actions or RPOs, but just drills to get guys moving and to get more familiar with that. So listen, deep ball has got to get better, but it would help if receivers caught passes. You know, that 6.9 isn't very good, but like they could not go deep last year. And his adjusted completion percentage would have been like top 20 in the country if they hadn't dropped 27 of his passes. So there's some stuff he's good at. He gets a hard knock because the stats don't, you know, vindicate him as much as they should. But the truth is that he would be better than the offense would be better if he wasn't going to be in the same spot in the backfield every down. Those defenders knew where to go and where to aim. He's got to move. And I think they're, they're probably excited about that, but you don't know until they start seeing the live bullets September 4th defensively switching over to that side of the ball, they do lose a lot. Look, Darius Stills is gone. In the secondary, Sean Mahone and Alonzo Adai, they do come back, but they lost Drayshawn Miller and, of course, Tyke Smith to Auburn and Georgia. How are the impacts that Stills, Miller, and Smith how are they going to be replaced? Look, I know Dante Stills is, is still going to be a force up front, but between those three guys, that's a lot of production that needs to be filled. Yeah, don't forget Tony Fields, too, was their Mike linebacker last year and led the world in tackles. And he, he rubbed off on the team, too. So you're looking, you know, front to back. That's that's a lot to lose. Stills is your, your cog in the middle, your middle linebacker. Tyke Smith is, I mean, just to be frank, one of the best at what he does. And then Miller's the starting cornerback. So that's all four levels of your defense lose the best player. I don't know how you can say that's not something to bite your nails about. But as I was saying before, they had these things in place that whether you knew a problem was coming or whether a problem appeared, they have a chance. Like, their defensive line is going to be good. They also lost Jeffrey Pooler, who was the starting defensive end. So I forgot even to mention him. So that's that's good players on every level. And now you're talking multiple players. But I think they do have a, a chance to have a good defensive line. Dante Stills is there. Akeem Mesador was one of your better, the true freshman defensive linemen last year. And you know, they're going to play on the edges, you know, end tackle, but they're also going to play nose too. It looks like Mesador is going to be their, their man in the middle there replacing Stills and Darius still has got by on being athletic because he's not tall and he's not he's not a body guy, but he just found ways to get through people. Um, Mesador is athletic and he is a body guy. and He's going to play that position a little bit differently, but be active there. You know what they do at Mike? Probably going to be Josh Chandler. Um, he's been like a will linebacker inside now is a different story for him. But they also brought in Lance Dixon from Penn State. He's like a former five star guy. He's a transfer that you know will it be too soon for him to be the Mike? Maybe. But, like, can he get on the field and make plays and use that talent? Sure. So they recruited a transfer to, to get into the gap that Tony Fields created by just graduating, right? And then they, they have a chance at corner to have some answers. They really like Nick Troy Fortune. He's a solid guy who's just got to make more plays. But, you know, true freshman, sophomore, if you're a corner, you, you don't want to chase people. So maybe you aren't as aggressive as, as you uh, could be, but maybe you're not as aggressive as you learn to become. That's the hope with him. And they have candidates to play the other one, but they brought in Charles Woods, who's a transfer from Illinois State, an FCS guy who's you know, like a sophomore All-America. And I don't know if it's a trend or what, but there's certainly talent in the FCS and you can bring up and they're going to give him a chance to play. You know, he's got a nose for the ball, but you know, they've really just played two corners throughout the season the past couple of years. They have, I don't know if they have two right now, which isn't bad because they're they're two, three, four, Jackie Matthews, Daryl Porter Jr. And Charles Woods, I think they're going to be close enough that you can play them out there and not have a big drop off. The safety should be fine. I mean, you bring back your free and your cat safety, which is like your free and your strong safety. It's a heck of a shell to have in your defense in the Big 12. But those are guys who can play like cornerback spots. And they're doing some weird stuff where they're, I think they're going to move their both their safeties to different sides of the line of scrimmage more, you know, up, down, one thing. But man, if they can just play left and right instead of field and boundary. 
that's going to confuse offenses, I think, because you're just used to seeing one guy there. Oh, that's the three. Wait a minute. He shouldn't be over here. He should be on the field. Why is he on the boundary? When you have that experience back, that helps you out quite a bit. And then, um, you know, the big thing with Tyke Smith is how do you replace that guy with what he does? It's a corner who's a safety. You know, he's, and again, as good as it gets to what he does, you know, they, they hope that um, Scotty Young, another transfer from Arizona who only played the bowl game last year, they hope that he can do it. Seemed like he had a really good spring. I think that's the one that's going to be the most different just because the talent is the most different there. Um, but again, they got a guy in place there. That's kind of the theme. You know, we, we talked about a bunch of holes, but they have people and they have plans that they can put in motion and, and maybe make up the gap. And, you know, will they be the number one pass defense in the country again? I don't know, but man, top five is still a pretty good season. Yeah, definitely. You know, I have a couple more before I let you go. Where does the university stand when it comes to the college football playoff expansion? You know, I ask you this because I think West Virginia has a unique sort of position because both the athletic director and the president are heavily involved. The AD takes over the Division One Council in a little over a week. President Gordon Gee is on the college football playoff decision-making board. What have they said about this 12-team playoff format and just other various changes like NIL as well? Yeah, well, NIL is the, the big one here. That's that's just weird because they don't have a law. And I don't think Shane Lyons is in a position to say very much to people like me because he takes over the Division One Council. And that's going to be – that that's the decision-making body. And, and Gordon Gee, I don't know. I've talked to him about it, and he's just kind of like, you know, we, we got to figure out what to do and this and that. But there's so many things up in the air with the Supreme Court ruling on Austin versus NCAA. Sean Austin, by the way, another West Virginia connection yep. too. So prominently involved, this little school in the mountains. But – who knows? They need a law to go in place. They've had a law proposed twice and it hasn't gone anywhere. And what happens July 1st and you know what do players want that they see others have, that may get the ball rolling. But you know, doesn't look like Congress is going to help. So the school has to figure out what to do. And I'm just not sure where they're at on that one. You know, is their feet, are their feet in the wet cement yet? Maybe. Should they be? Maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. The big one to me, I think, is probably going to be um, the playoff because Guy is really involved in it. And if you've known Guy for years, remember, he's the sisters of the poor guy. Well, he's now in the same conference as one of those sisters. TCU is in the Big 12. And, you know, shoulda, woulda, coulda been in a playoff one year. And that would have been big money for the Big 12. Well, um, now Gee's team has never really been close. They've had some meaningful late season games, but never been really a top four candidate. But there's a couple of times they would have been in if there was 12 or they would have had a chance if it was 12. I think he likes that. Like a lot of people, he's told me that the fatigue is real. When you see just a handful of teams get those bids and you're thinking this isn't good for the, the sport and television ratings, that's one thing. But he makes the point of you know, what about the players who or the coaches who or the fans who get jazzed up for that opening week game or opening month game you know, against a rival or at a neutral site and you lose and your season's over? Right. You have a chance to go 11 and one or 12 and one, but your season's already over in September because you lost the game. You're not going to have a zero. Is that fair to everybody? No. So why not invigorate the season? And yeah, we, we got into this habit of saying September games matter. We got to make September matter. Well, heck, man, what about October, November, too? Let's make some of those late season games important, too. And there's a couple on the schedule that are appealing for West Virginia. So their position is they're all for it. He wants to talk about it, but he likes the expansion. He told me that both Shane Lyons and Neil Brown are behind the two. So um, I don't think West Virginia is going to get in the way of this one passing. Yeah, all about making sure that uh, fan bases outside of Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and, and really Oklahoma are interested, you know, when the season's coming to a close that their team could possibly be in that 12-team playoff. Last one for me, have you thought about a game for West Virginia that could possibly be looked at as like a swing game for the Mountaineers? You know, a game where if they win, it would set the season up to go one way. If they lose, it would set the season up to go another way. And if you could choose one game to be that swing, which would you choose? And, and just what are your expectations looking at the team and the schedule for Neil Brown's group in 2021? This is a great question, Lance, because um, there's there's two that have my attention. Um, historically, the Maryland game has always been indicative of the season. If they play well and they win that game, the season typically goes well. And if they lose that game, the opposite is oftentimes true. It's not 
100% proven, but that is the trend. I think a lot of fans will tell you that. They opened against Maryland. They haven't opened on the road in a non-conference game as a true visitor since like the early 80s when they went to Oklahoma. So it's rare. Now they played neutral site games and they've been on the road for conference games, but like a non-conference true road game is is rare. And that's a lot right there. If they go 1-0, hey, cool. If they go 0-1, then things get tricky because you know they get Long Island University the second game. Then it's Virginia Tech at home, and, and who knows with that one. So your, your first month could be tough. Those first three games could be tough. And the difference between 1-0 and 0-1 is big because you got a chance to be 3-0 going to Oklahoma for your fourth game or being, I don't know, 1-2. Two and one going to Oklahoma, and they've not beaten Oklahoma, and oftentimes haven't been close since they joined the Big Twelve. So that first one is just really appetizing to me. I think I would surprise people though with my pick. Um, they can't beat Texas Tech. Brown has not beaten Texas Tech. They should have beat them last year, and they got smoked the first year. That's not a power in the Big Twelve. Like you could circle Oklahoma or Texas um, as games that might mean something just for the the grandeur of beating them. Oklahoma State's got a good winning streak against them. But Texas Tech is not a team that should have your number, and they're 0-2 against them. And the first four games I just rattled off to you, Maryland, Long Island, Virginia Tech, Oklahoma. Listen, whatever happens there, 3-1, 2-2, you get that Texas Tech game next. If you win that one, I think you can right a lot of wrongs the past two years and even maybe the first four games of the season what didn't go your way. Get yourself in position to go and beat a team you haven't beat. And you create some separation in the middle or the lower half of the conference, too. That's a game you got to win if you're going to leapfrog teams and get toward the middle and toward the top. And that's one they can't lose this year. So I would circle that one. Surprise, I don't know, but that one just seems like it means a lot to me. Yeah, certainly, you know, if you want to, like you said, make that jump towards the middle and towards the top of the Big 12, you got to beat the teams that you should beat. And the fact that, like you said, Texas Tech, this isn't the Texas Tech of a decade ago. You know, this is a Texas Tech team that uh, West Virginia should beat and West Virginia is probably better than. But obviously, you know, they need to do it on the field. And, and, you know, in the first two years, they haven't. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Casaza and definitely check out their podcast, Country Roads Confidential. Mike, thanks so much for giving me some time today. I really appreciate it. Anytime, Lance. Thanks for having me. Remember that if you like what you hear, make sure to drop us a five-star rating and a review. We'd love to hear what you think. If you have any questions, any ideas for a topic, or if you haven't heard your favorite team yet. My name is Lance Glenn. Enjoy your Wednesday, everyone. Trey will be back tomorrow for the next edition of the College Football Daily.